Grab a Bible. We are in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a new series, same book, new series. Um, Paul starts in chapter 12 and verse 1, now about, and so he heads into this new segment and 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is probably one of the best known chapters in the Bible. It's the love chapter. But that love chapter really forms kind of the filling in the cookie. It's just that sweet part in the middle. And so really 12, 13, and 14 kind of form this love sandwich. And really what Paul is talking about is loving my body. Not my physical body, but my spiritual body, the church. Last week in chapter 11... Paul said that when you partake of communion, you are to recognize what? The body, the body of Christ, the, the community that we're a part of. And now he's moving into this place, uh, very practical, about how we can love the body that he's given us, love the church that we are a part of. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 1, I'm going to read through this because Paul is uh, correcting some faulty attitudes and some things, uh, thinking that the Corinthians have. And we're going to look at what he said, and then we're going to unpack it and how we can apply it to ourselves. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is the giving through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. One thing we know about the church in Corinth is that the church in Corinth was divided. Even the issue of the Lord's Supper was a cause for division. Those who had money, those who could get there first with their good food, started to eat first, and they didn't wait for the poorer people to get there, those who were running late. And so the people that were eating earlier, the, probably the wealthier believers, were creating this division in the church. Paul originally started the book of Corinthians by talking about divisions between those who followed him, and some said they follow Apollos, and some said I follow Cephas. And so we see that in the Corinthian church, there was this problem that some of them thought they were a little better than other people. And so that's the context behind where he's, he's coming to when he starts to talk about these miraculous things that were happening in the church in Corinth. Some of them thought that they were just a little better than other people. I have this ability and you don't have this ability. And so now I'm starting to rank the abilities and I'm starting to put them in order. And so therefore, I am in this place where I feel a little better than you do. And so the problem in Corinth was this very problem that some of the believers thought that their giftedness was better than other believers. And so Paul then writes about now about the matters. The word gifts is not in the Greek. What Paul is writing about is about spiritual matters. And so we tend to focus on chapter 12 and chapter 14. We tend to focus on giftedness, and that's not Paul's point. Paul's point is not the gifts, but the giver of the gifts. 
and the giver of the gifts in relationship to one another. The primary purpose of the miraculous in the New Testament was evidential. In other words, it confirmed the the deity of Jesus. Jesus said what? He said uh, to a man, your sins are forgiven. And when people became indignant, he said, I want to show you that I am who I say I am. And what did he say to the man? He said, get up, take up your bed and walk. The miracles were never for a sideshow. They were never to draw attention as is all things. But what they were doing was evidential. If Jesus is the Messiah, if he is the anointed one, it was confirmed by the ability he had to control nature. And so now in the New Testament era, when someone came with this gospel, how do we know that it's valid? Well, these miraculous gifts were evidential. They were not given to transform or to convert or even to put the worker of these miracles on a pedestal. But these gifts were given so that the people knew that this was a revelation from God. The new covenant was truly new because of God's confirmation of it. We read that in Hebrews, that it came with what? It was attested to. And so now Paul is writing about these spiritual matters. And so Paul makes it clear in verse 2, he says, You know that when you were pagans, you were somehow or other led astray by mute idols. Do you see this tension in the Corinthian church? They had lived in this pagan culture, in this pagan world, and now they came to faith in the one true God, the only God, and they still had this lure of, of this uh, pre-Christian experience about uh, the the. the and actions that they brought into the church. And we do the same thing. We live in a world, we live in a culture, and we still bring those actions and attitudes into the church. The kingdom of God is different, but we still, uh, through uh, whatever uh, our, our, our knowledge and our training and just by habit, we do those things. And so Paul was saying, Corinthians, this is what's happening. They had these mute idols. And so Paul is writing to them that contrasting to these mute idols, there is the one God who what? Speaks. In fact, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what did God do? He spoke into existence. And so what Paul is wanting to do when he says now about spiritual matters, now about the things of the spirit, I want to clear some confusion. I want to uh, clear some confusion in your own minds. He wants to help them to know where God is at work and where God is not at work. We are very easily led astray and we are very easily wowed by things but listen everything that wows us is not of god every person who wows us even though they say they are of god are not of god how do we know he's given us his word and he's given us his word as that spiritual mirror as the measuring line for our lives and so paul wants to help us to clear some spiritual confusion And in this pluralistic culture that the Corinthians found themselves in, there was a lot of wowing going on. There were a lot of people that were able to do things. And so what happened was as a believer, they would run over here. Did you hear this guy? Did you run over here? Did you hear this lady? Run over here and do this and go over here. And they're going, and Paul's like, wait a minute. I want to help clear some of this spiritual confusion in your life. And so these instructions that Paul gives us are in this background of a pluralistic culture of where believers are misunderstanding the way God is working in their religious experiences. And in some cases, they were bringing this residual pagan influence in. And so Paul is writing about spiritual things. So what does he say? He says, I want you to know. I don't want you to be un 
informed. I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. And so what is it that Paul wants us to be informed about? What are some spiritual things? I think there's a couple things we can glean from this chapter. Remember, the point of this chapter is not the gifts. We look at the gifts as the point. They are not the point. They are the illustration of the point. The first thing that Paul wants us to know is that we are to exhibit the lordship of Jesus in our lives. What does he say in verse 3? Therefore, he says, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not contradictory. The Holy Spirit is not contradictory. The Holy Spirit will not contradict himself. And so no one says Jesus is Lord is what? Except by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, saying Jesus is Lord is not just moving your lips and saying Jesus is Lord. What is it? It's the confession of our hearts. So when I say Jesus is Lord, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm making a confession of my allegiance, a confession of his rule over my life. I'm making a confession of all that he is in my life. And so when I say Jesus is Lord, that's what I am saying. It's not just moving my lips. There were many temples and religions in the ancient world who claimed to offer prophecies, interpretations of prophecies, miracles, and gifts of healing. You could go down to the pagan temple and, and see or hear the same things that Paul is writing about in 1 Corinthians. And so it would be very confusing for these new believers when they're walking past the temple and there's a big sign out front that says, prophecy meeting tonight. <laughs> and they're like, wait a minute, I just left paganism. I thought that wasn't a real idol. And Paul is saying you did leave paganism. When you said Jesus is Lord, you're giving your allegiance to him. So no matter what is on the billboard of the pagan temple, your allegiance is to Jesus. Don't be wowed by the billboard. Don't be wowed by the thing that's going on inside because you have said that Jesus is Lord. It's an affirmation of the lordship of Jesus. That's the litmus test for the presence of God in the work of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul says that no one can say Jesus is Lord, and I've, I've heard believers, and they use this as some self-inflationary, prideful way. Well, I say Jesus is Lord, so that means I have the Spirit. What are they saying? You, I'm a little better than you. And that's Paul's point. Paul's point is that you, because, of the, because of the lips moving, saying Jesus is Lord, that somehow you have the Holy Spirit. But what he's saying is that when you confess Jesus is Lord, when Jesus is the Lord of your life, you have the Spirit because you've surrendered your life to him. Words don't mean a whole lot. It's the indicator, if we're truthful, of what's in our hearts. And so when we say Jesus is Lord, if it's just lip service, what is it? It's nothing. And so what Paul is, is challenging, the, uh, verse 3 is really the hinge to chapters 12, 13, and 14 about Jesus being Lord. That he is the one who what calls our, the shots in our life. Anyone... Anyone who would say Jesus is Lord exhibits a life surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. And what happens in a life surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus? The fruit of the Spirit. This Holy Spirit takes up residence in us when we surrender our lives to Jesus. And so Paul in, chapter, in verse 3 of chapter 12 is saying, first of all, Corinthians, listen, you need to confess 
or you, you build your life that Jesus is Lord. That's a spiritual matter that I'm writing to you about. Don't be wowed by the wows. I want you to get right back to the ground level, and that is Jesus is Lord. And so verse 3 is kind of, the, is kind of the, the hinge for everything that Paul talks about. You see, we love the body. I love my body when I'm ruled by Jesus. How's that possible? Well, when I'm ruled by Jesus, that means I'm what? I'm patient, and I'm forgiving, and I am long-suffering, and I, I'm all the things that Jesus was. Do you know that, um, that, I know it's hard to believe, but some people have really hard marriages that they're living in. Jesus understands, because he's in a hard marriage as well. His bride is kind of ugly sometimes, fighting and bickering and divisive and not real nice sometimes. But Jesus is saying this, and Paul's saying this, in these spiritual matters, if you say Jesus is Lord, and what does that mean? That he rules my life. And so in the body of Christ, I love the body when I am forgiving and I am gracious and I am patient. How many times have you been hurt by someone who is ruled more by their mouth than by Jesus? Who is ruled more by their anger than by Jesus? And we come to that place. And so Paul is saying this. When you say Jesus is Lord, it's a spiritual thing. It should be a spiritual thing. It's not just moving your mouth and, 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 and saying the words. It's a life that's surrendered to him. He is the Lord of what? Everything. He's the Lord of my time. He's the Lord of my talent. He's the Lord of my treasure. Everything I have, I surrendered to him. So it's not my time, but it's his time. It's not my talent, but what? It's his talent. It's not my treasure, but it's his treasure. And so when I'm surrendered by the lordship of Jesus, and I love the body, what that means is I put Jesus first and foremost and make him the ruler of my life. I read an article this week, and it asked this question, or it made this statement, church should be our excuse for missing everything else. Church should be our excuse for missing everything else. I can't come, I'm sorry. I have, a, I have an appointment around the Lord's table to be with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. I'm sorry, I can't come. Click. Oh, you got something going on? I am sorry. My small group meets tonight, and I can't be there. How refreshing would that be for believers to live with the lordship of Jesus and say, I can't come because I have a commitment to my Lord. I, I can't do this. And church is the reason I miss everything else. And everything else is not the reason I miss church. How would that change the body? It would be wonderful. Jesus said in John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. You know, Jesus is Lord, whether we acknowledge him as Lord or not. He's still Lord. What we think of him doesn't change who he is. He is the Lord. And so what Paul is saying, here's some spiritual things. When you say Jesus is Lord, it's a spiritual matter. You are spiritually invested in the body of Christ. You don't have to have all these wow things that Paul talks about to be part of the body of Christ. Because you confess Jesus is Lord, that you are now part of him. 
And he's going to talk about that over the next few chapters. But the second thing Paul tells us how to be informed is this. It's not only to um, uh, express our lordship in Jesus and exhibit that in our lives. And it's, it's more than expressing, right? It's showing through, through a, a exhibition of living and of, of action. Valentine's Day was on Friday. Uh, you're like, what? I didn't get a Valentine. Exactly. Somebody says they love you, but they didn't put it into action. And don't actions speak a lot more than words? And that's what Jesus is saying. So you exhibit this lordship of Jesus in your life. But the next thing that Paul is really getting to in, in chapter 12 and chapter 14 is this. We employ or we utilize what? Our different gifts, our different service, our different working for what? The common good. And this is the whole point of what Paul's talking about. Look what he says. And, and listen to how many times he uses different and same. Verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. That's Paul's point of the whole chapter. We can close in prayer and go home. That's what he's saying. There's a, there is a variety of things, but it's the same Lord that gives them. Why would Paul say that? Because in Corinth, there was a God for everything. There was a plethora of gods. There were hundreds of gods that people could worship. And so what I could do is in my life, I would, I would offer this service to a particular God. And if that God didn't make me happy, I'll offer it to another God the next time. And so I could offer this service to this God and this service to this God and this service to this Lord. And here's what Paul is saying. No, because Jesus is Lord, because there's only one God, all those things come from this one God and the same Lord. We are different, but it's the same God. That's all Paul is saying. Paul's focus is this one true God. His focus isn't the gifts, but it's the God who gives the gifts. The gifts are just the illustration, but it's the God who is the point. And so Paul says what? In verse 7, Now to each one, we are all individually members of the body. Each one is given this gift. And what's the word he uses? For the common good. For the common good. Ephesians 4.12, look on your notes. It's we are to equip his people. It's the gifts that... God has given, Jesus has given to the church for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You see, we love the body when we make it a priority and we use our gifts and our talents what, for what? The common good. Paul is not saying we have been given abilities and gifts to what? Puff up self, to make a name for ourselves, to elevate ourselves. But what he's saying is you have been given gifts and talents for what? The common good. And what's the common good? It's the good of everyone who is in common unity or community. That's why, Paul, that's why God gives gifts. There are different kinds of gifts, but they're not given to different lords. Paul says there's not many lords. There's only one Lord. And because we are all united in him, he has gifted us differently for what? The common good. So the question is, am I using my gifts, my working, my service? Whatever that word is, however it looks, it's the same thing. Am I using what God has given me for what? The common good. Gifts are never given to puff up yourself. Gifts are never given just for you. Gifts are always given for the benefit of someone else. God has gifted us, not for us, but for someone else. That's why he gives us the gifts, for the common good. 
If I have a gift and I'm only using it on me and I'm only puffing me up and I'm only building me up, I'm not using it for the common good and I'm out of step with God's will and desire for my life. The Corinthians had decided that there was this hierarchical order to some of the gifts. Some of the gifts are more important than others. But Paul makes it clear there's only one Lord. And since there's one Lord and all of our gifts come from the one Lord, nobody has the right to boast. We're all connected to the same Lord. In fact, it's he who gives them. Verse 11, he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And so when I look at my life and I say I have this service or have this working, I have this gift, however you want to look at it, it's because I, it's not because of me, but it's because of him. It was a gift of grace. It was a gift of God's mercy in my life. I didn't do anything, but it came from him. And what's that do? That eliminates boasting. Whenever you run into somebody in the body of Christ and you get this feel that they're starting to build themselves up and they're starting to make themselves up to be a little more than they are, they're not working for the common good. The manifestation is for the common good. And so these particular gifts that Paul mentions in chapter 12, he lists those for a specific reason. These were the very gifts that, were, that the pagan temples and the pagan religions were also doing. So all those gifts that Paul listed in in chapter 12, he said all these things. And why would the the Corinthians need to hear about these? They needed to hear about them because it was the same things that were happening in the pagan temples. And Paul says, I want want to clear some confusion. The, The giftedness, Corinthians, and you take any one of those gifts that could have been found in a pagan temple. Paul says the difference is that in the body of Christ, your gift is for the common good. Remember what pagan philosophers used to do? They would gather people around them to follow them, and people would owe their allegiance to them. And uh, they were, so there was competing philosophers. And that was Paul's point at the beginning of Corinthians. We said some people are aligning themselves with other people. It's the same with the giftedness. Uh, Paul's saying these all come from the same Lord. And this manifestation literally, literally means a public showing is what it means. We, again, wanna, want to uh, strain out the gnat and swallow the camel when we come to chapter 12 and 13 and 14. The point isn't the gifts. The point is what? The giver of the gifts. And if I focus on the gifts, I'm missing the giver, and I'm missing the same giver. And if I'm only focusing on the gifts, then I start to say, well, what do I have? And what do I have may be a little better than yours. Or I can say, oh, what I have isn't as good as yours. No, it comes from the same Lord, the body of Christ. There's only one head to the body, and that's Jesus. We all make up the rest of the body. And so Paul gave his second test. The first test was in verse 3. The lordship of Jesus. That's the first test to be informed. The second test is that it is for the common good. That's the genuineness of the spiritual activity among you. And so remember, Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to have some clarity and not to be confused. And so Paul's telling us, here's how you can tell if it's, if it's a genuine thing from the Lord. Because there's a lot of counterfeit things, but the genuine thing from the Lord is going to what? Be for the common good. It's going to be for the building up of the body until we all maintain Maturity. Can you imagine Paul renting out a stadium and charging people uh, tickets to get in to hear him preach? No. He's saying that's not for the common good. 
When Paul left somewhere, he walked. He didn't fly in his private jet and go from here to here to there. It's not, if it's not for the common good, it is not genuinely spiritual the way Paul is talking spiritual. We live in a celebrity culture. We just do. We, in our Western cultures, I, probably in every culture, we love celebrities. And Christians are no more exempt than any other people. We love our celebrities. But Paul's saying there's only one celebrity in the body of Christ, and that's Jesus. Everything else is what? Is to build us up for him. And so Paul said there's these particular functions that we are to, we are to do what? To build up the body. Now, we'll just run down through those gifts real quickly. Um, the Corinthians were in these times of what? Trials and temptations and doubts and fears. They didn't have their own Bibles. Remember, they are just now getting the letter of 1 Corinthians, and so they didn't have this. And so they, this baby church had these things that were helping them until they had God's completed word, all those things put together. And so we, we don't know in 2020 what this looked like in A.D. whatever. We just don't know. And so Paul says, here's some of the things he mentions. Wisdom. It was a message that was focused on the what? The wisdom of Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.30. Knowledge. It was the... We have no idea what the content or the message of this was. Uh, faith. Paul says that there was this, a thing about, uh, about faith. This is not saving faith. This is that extra thing of faith. It's that faith to move mountains. James Moffat said it was an indomitable assurance that God can overcome any difficulties and meet any emergencies. Have you ever run into people like that? You're saved and they're saved. But when they're talking, you're just like, wow, you have so much faith. You just seem to trust. That's what Paul is talking about. There's a classic example, 19th century George Mueller of England. He uh, founded a large orphanage, and he did not ask for money. He just prayed. And he said, Lord, if you want this to succeed, you're going to supply the means. He trusted God daily for milk and food and funds to take care of the children. You know what happened? It came. It came. You would say, wow, that's a man of faith. Exactly. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul says, so, so this one same spirit, there, there are some folks who can be able to do that, and there are some other folks who be able to do this. Um, there's this thing of healing, and, and it's the, 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 uh, the same things that Jesus and the apostles could do um, in, the, in the book of Acts. Um, it's interesting to know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says the, the reason some of you are sick is because you're not, uh, you're not aware of the body of Christ. You're, you're kind of selfish, is what he's saying especially when you have communion at the Lord's Supper. Some of you are sick because you have not recognized the body of Christ. You think it's all about you. And so perhaps not only did, Paul, did God discipline the Corinthians, he also gave them some people to help them, <laughs> right? So I'm going to discipline you. You're sick and you're, and you're not well. Because why? Because you, are, you have not discerned the body. And uh, so here I'm going to give you some people to help out as well. He says there's also these um, miraculous powers, um, that, uh, some uh, type of control over nature. Remember Ananias and Sapphira in, in Acts? They sold some property and they kept back part of it for themselves. And what happens when they, uh, when they came to Peter? They dropped over dead. Ananias and Sapphira got together to conspire a plot to cheat the church. And then what? Peter prophesied and they both dropped dead. That's what Paul's talking about. So there was this, there was this thing that we see in the, in the, in the early church. Um, there was this distinguishing between spirits. Why would they need that in Corinth? Because of this, this multi-pluralistic uh, gods everywhere. And Paul wants them to have some clarity. 
He says there, there are some who can speak in different kinds of languages. It's a language that they haven't learned, and so they were speaking this. What, are all, what do all these things do? All of these things have something to do with, with discerning and communicating the one true God from every other God. So Paul's saying, don't focus so much on this list, because we don't even know how some of these looked in the early church. We don't know what they did. We have speculations, but we're not sure. But what Paul is saying, each one, he says, to one, in verse 8, to one there is given through what? The Spirit. To another, a knowledge by what? The same Spirit. You see what Paul's doing? Paul's just using them as illustrations because that's what the Corinthians would have known. The gifts are not the point. The point is what? It's the one and the same Spirit. It's the one and same God for the one body. In all of our talks about giftedness, and I know people uh, tend to not care or they tend to be overwrought about, I'm not sure what my giftedness is. The problem is you're focusing on the gift instead of the giver. You focus on the Lord and it'll be evident what you're supposed to be doing. You focus on, on Jesus as Lord and you focus on God and you focus and you do those things and you employ them, you, you utilize them and you do them and what's going to happen? You're going to build up the body of Christ. All of our talk of giftedness, it's sometimes our individualistic way of looking at the rest of life. It's all about me and who I am and how God's created me. And Paul wants to pull back on that thinking a little bit and say, listen, you are in this body by what? The one spirit, the same God. So it's not just about me. It's what? Really about we. So I love my body. I love the church because it's not just about me. It's about all of us together. The focus is really on Jesus so Paul's calling us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in these first few verses, he's, fo- he's calling us to focus on two things, on Christ and the community. It's that, it's that horizontal and that vertical dimension of our lives. So what he says in verse 3, you say Jesus is Lord, you're focusing on him, you're surrendering to him. Now what do you do with that? You don't go off and live your own life in any way that you want, all by yourself. You are part of a community. You need to be in a place where you are part of a community. Um, Watching TV on church is not being part of a community. You need to be with people who irritate you and rub you the wrong way and don't say hi and make you mad. Why? Because that's how we grow. I can't offer forgiveness if I never offend you. I don't do it on purpose so I can be forgiving. That's not what the point is, but right? Where there is no place, where there's no friction, we never have to learn how to get along. And that's what Paul's saying, is you focus on Christ, the Lordship, and that'll that'll help you decide how to get along. And then you focus on the community. You love your body. You you love the people that God has put you with. What's that whole thing? Um, you, You can pick your friends, but not your family. It's the same for the body of Christ. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose who you are with in the body of Christ. God does that. He's the one who adds. And so Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
He's saying, listen, when you say Jesus is Lord, that's a spiritual thing. I'm writing to you in verse 1 about now about spiritual matters you wrote about. They were confused. They were concerned. They were wondering how to make this work in this new thing called the church, where some people thought they were better than others and where there was division. And Paul says, you focus on Jesus, and then you focus on each other, and guess what? Things will tend to work out. What's missing or who's missing from this equation? Me! <laughs> right? It's not me. It's Jesus, and it's the community. Think about the times we get so upset. Where, am I, where do I tend to focus? I'm, I'm tend to focus on me. When I get angry, it's because something I wanted was denied. I didn't get what I wanted. I just wanted to go home and take a nap, and those kids are driving me crazy. Or something's delayed. I want it now, but I don't get it right now. And so when I focus on me, it starts to uh, have all these problems. And Paul says, listen, Corinthians, part of the issue you're having in this church is that you are divided against one another because you're so focused on me and not on Jesus. The focus is on Jesus. And when a, com- when a community focuses on Jesus, what happens? They are a spiritual community. That's what he says in verse 3. You say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Spirit. So when you are focused on Jesus, then, Paul says, you are a spiritual community. When I focus on me, it's not very spiritual. When I focus on my gifts, it's not very spiritual. But when I focus on Jesus, and I focus on you, and we help build each other up, guess who gets the glory? Jesus. You think about the church. It's this crazy thing that brings people together from all places, and yet we have the same Lord. That's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 12. It's the same spirit. It's the same God. All Christians, what? We remain uh, open and we search our hearts and we try out ministries and we do things and we serve and, and, and we, we, we build up the body of Christ. Remember Matthew chapter 22? Someone came and said, Jesus, what's the greatest command? And what did he say? Look on your notes. Matthew 22. Jesus replied this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. And that first word is what? Love. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. You literally could take Christ and community, and you could overlay Jesus' words for Lord and neighbor. That's what Paul is saying. You love the Lord your God is the greatest commandment, and you love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus said. And that's all Paul's saying in this beginning opening of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The proper focus is what? Is Lord and neighbor. In this three-chapter section we are moving into, Paul has no sympathy for a highly individualistic and self-satisfying experience in God's Spirit. He has no sympathy for that. And he says, Corinthians, if you think because you are having this spiritual experience and this spiritual thing, but you are very individualistic and you are very self-focused and self-centered. I'm having none of that, is what Paul is saying. Because you're part of a community. And so he's bringing these spiritual things to the forefront, which in, in under, the, under the Old Covenant, and Jesus, remember, is quoting from the Old Testament, and even in Jesus' teaching to love your neighbor and to love God all Paul's doing. We are in a world, a culture that's highly influenced by rugged individualism. We just are. And believers need to work even harder to demonstrate that Christianity is not a personal religion, but it is primarily a corporate religion. 
in our Core 52 groups a couple weeks ago, if you were a part of that, in one of those chapters, he said, there is no such thing as a personal Lord and Savior. He never said that. I have to make a decision personally. Nobody else can do it for me. But once I declare Jesus is Lord, I'm now part of a body And it is not just me and Jesus, it is we and Jesus. And in our individualistic, I everything, I phone, right? I this, everything is me. The church has to fight back against that. And that's what Paul is challenging us to do, is to fight against that. And so either our giftedness can promote disunity or our giftedness can promote unity. And Paul's saying the real test, if it's a spiritual experience, is how you are promoting unity and the common good. That's the litmus test. It's not if I have it or don't have it. And that's where we want to land. We want to go to that place. Well, do I have it? Do I have this one? Do I have this one? Paul's like, no, 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 no. Whatever you have, you'd use for the common good. That's the true test of a spiritual experience. This is the spiritual matter that I'm writing to you about. Is what? Jesus is Lord and the common good. It's about Christ and community. The most powerful um, the, the, uh, tool of the gospel is when the world is forced to, to sit up and take notice of a people who love each other for no other reason than for Jesus. Think about it. There are people in our lives who we love only because of Jesus. We, we never would have met. We don't work in the same places. We don't live in the same communities. We all come from different places. But it's because of Jesus that we love each other. And that's what Jesus said, that the world would take notice about what? Your love for one another. So that's all Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians 12. He's asking us and challenging us. And the question is, will you love your body? Not this thing, right? No. This, will you love the body that Jesus has placed you in? Will you love the community that Jesus has placed you in? One of the, one of the um, contemporary indictments against the body of Christ is the lack of love and the lack of building up for the common good. We seem to be in it for what's in it for me instead of what's, what's in it for Jesus and what's in it for each other. I am always disappointed when I have expectations for me. Whatever it is, you can have an expectation on Valentine's Day of having this wonderful dinner and everything's going to go well. It's all about me. And guess what? Something goes wrong. You get a flat tire. Something happens. It's just, when, when it comes down to it, when I have expectations about me, like everything is for me, I'm always disappointed. You know how to raise your expectation level? Live in love for others. You'll never be disappointed. Love is putting the needs of other persons first. And when you do that, you'll never be disappointed. When I put my wants and my desires first and primary and only, I'm always going to be disappointed. But when I live with my eyes on Jesus, confess him Jesus as Lord, when I focus on the community of believers and I, I do things for the common good, guess what? There's always a blessing and there's always a joy that comes from that. Always. That's what Paul's saying. It's the same Lord. It's the same God. We are all different. We don't all have to be the same, but we all work, what? For the common good, for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And what is building up the body of Christ? So that we look more like Jesus. 
The focus is Jesus, and then Jesus gifts us to help us to look more like him. So it's this infinite loop. We focus on Jesus. He gifts us to encourage one another for the common good to what? To be more like him. He does everything by giving us that power and ability to do that. You love the body of Christ. I'm not talking about everything that happens in the body. Like, every, like, look, we're all irritated by stuff that happens. We are. But am I building for the common good? Am I, am, I, am I really saying Jesus is Lord? It's acknowledging him with what? The entirety of my life. It's with, it's with my heart of all that I am. Paul's going to go on in chapters 12 and 13 and 14 and give us a great picture of what this love is. But suffice it to say for today, he wants us to exhibit the lordship of Jesus and employ our different gifts working in service for what? For the common good. As we come time to prayer, uh, time to pray, um, it's really to get our focus on Jesus. Say, Lord, I, I, I'm not really focused on you necessarily. I, I thought church was what I could get out of it, what it was all for me, instead of focusing on the community. And so, Lord, maybe my prayer just is, Lord, my, the, the, the working that you've given me, this, the things I can do, how can I use them for the common good? How can I build up the body of Christ? How can I love the body Jesus has given me? Lord, I've said too far. I, I just said Jesus is Lord, but I'm not really, I'm not really, it, it, it's, it's just lip service. It doesn't come from this place in my heart where I was like, Lord, you can have all of me. I'm surrendering it, surrendering it all. I want to get me out of the way. Do you know who my worst enemy is in my life? Me. Your worst enemy is you. Yeah. And if God can just get us out of our own way, then he can do something with us. And that's all Paul's talking about. Just get out of your own way. You focus on Jesus. You focus on others. I'll take care of you. And you'll see some great things, and you'll see things happening in your life. You'll have things, when you focus on Christ and you focus on community, you will start to experience the wows that you thought were so wowing. They're called the blessings of the Lord. Would you please stand and we're going to pray. Father, the challenge to live under Jesus with him as Lord is to live with his people. And so, Father, would you keep growing us up in Jesus? Would you help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Love each other as ourselves. God, you place us in this love incubator where we can learn what it means to live under the lordship of Jesus together. Even when we irritate each other, we upset one another. We have misplaced or failed expectations that are not met. But God, it's Jesus who brings us together this morning. Yes, we're here as individuals, but there's only one God. There's only one Lord. There's only one Spirit. And so our common unity is in Him. So Father, these next few moments, show us how we can live under the Lordship of Jesus. To love the body of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a prayer need, the guys will meet you in the back.